I heard of Advent Conspiracy for the first time a few years ago, and basically, like, I'll be honest, we spend, as a, as a family, so nobody feels judged or anything, we spend more than we should, um, but we really try to simplify and just add some things in. As a family, at Christmas last year, we, uh, one night Natalie was out with some girlfriends or something, I can't remember what she was out doing, and I just said, hey boys, I'm going to read you the Christmas story, and we're going to draw all the different uh, characters in the story, and so we did, we drew them, and we actually, I think we took Owens, his wise men look like ninjas, and, uh, but we took Owens and uh, ended up being taped at the base of our steps, so every, every night when we go down, uh, and it stayed up all year, so every night when we go down to bed, uh, there is baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and, uh, and the shepherds, and just a reminder that God uh, became a person, and that's one way as a family that we want to very simply remember this time of year and not just blow through uh, Christmas. We love Christmas at our house, honestly, like You can tell me you love Christmas. I doubt you love it more than the main ground family does. Uh, Natalie's name even means Christmas child in French, uh, if that will up the ante on that. And every year we intend for it to be like this really reflective time and about Jesus and all of that, as well as the gifts and the family and the travel and the eating. Uh, But it seems like every year the tyranny of the urgent ends up stealing like the piece of the pie that was supposed to be for Jesus ends up going to family or shopping or doing whatever. Natalie is almost done Christmas shopping. Like we're now just thinking, oh yeah, I have a goddaughter. I have to buy her a gift. You know, like we're down to the nitty gritty and thank God for Amazon Prime. It saves us from having to try to go past Sullivan Square or onto Highway 99 at this point. Uh, So yeah, like we are trying to slow down we set aside in our budget, uh, sitting to like toot our horn, like I, I'm a big believer, you don't let the right hand know what the left hand's doing and vice versa, but we try to set aside in our budget at Christmas to give to uh, different things. And, um, and as a church on December 16th, we're going to share what we've done as a church in giving back to this community and to sort of more global initiatives with missions and church planting and, and other stuff. So um, yeah, so if you got a Bible... Um, We're going to look at Luke 1, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a couple back here, and I wrote it down on my hand. If you have the large print Bible, which most of you do, uh, it's page 948, and if you have the small print Bible, give yourself a pound in the back so you have great eyesight, and that is page 499, if you're not sure. So we call this year's series the best Christmas ever. I was just talking with Chris a moment ago about um, the season of Advent and sort of the the things that come along with that. And I may even interview you next Sunday just to kind of talk about some of that because I feel like you're much more knowledgeable than I am. So maybe we'll even do that if you're going to be here next Sunday. I'll talk with you later. We'll get coffee this week. Chris, um, I, I try to like, I think about a lot of you when I'm preparing sermons. Honestly, when I'll write something, um, this is not in the notes, which is always dangerous. Um, I'll, I'll think of your faces. I'll think, uh, okay, what is this person going to think of this? And it really forces me to not just stand up here and talk for 40 minutes about what I want to talk about, but really hear from God and lead the church that God's, called us to, that God's called us to be together. And Chris and May are really smart and really gifted and love Jesus with their minds in addition to everything else in their life. And um, you guys hold me accountable, and I'm very grateful for you. Uh, so we entitled this series, Best Christmas Ever. And I was telling Chris this morning, he was like, are you preaching about Advent today? And I said, no, I'm preaching about Mary. And next week we'll talk about Joseph and the shepherds. And then the next week we're going to talk about on the 16th, what a jerk face 
face that King Herod was, one of Renee's least favorite characters in the Bible, and, uh, and it's going to be great. And we don't have to make it complicated because it's the baby Jesus. And I just this first year of us being a church, I want to talk about baby Jesus and everybody around him because I think he's awesome. And we've entitled the series The Best Christmas Ever and try to literally think about how can we make this thing as much about Jesus as possible. Part of that's just logistical uh, decisions we made. We're not having church on the 23rd. One, because I made a commitment when we decided to plant churches. My mom has said, I don't ask a lot from you uh, and of Nat and I, she said, but I would love for you to always be at our, my house on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and we made a commitment in ministry that we will move heaven and earth to always be at her house on the 24th. And logistically, it's just too difficult to do the 23rd and then get there on the 24th in a cost-effective way for our family. So as our church grows, maybe we'll, we'll do Christmas Eve services and Sunday before Christmas services. This year, we won't. We'll help you find a church if you want to go worship, and I think that's a wonderful thing. We've given, uh, a couple weeks ago, we gave out these books, In the Manger, by Max Lucado. I know that several of you have already read through it, and some of you have started. If you didn't get one but would like to, we'd love to, to make sure everybody gets one. It's just a, a daily reading. There are three pages. If you're already behind, you can kind of catch up. If you didn't get one, let me know. I'd love to get one in your hands. Um, we're co-sponsoring on December 15th, the Charlestown Family Christmas Celebration. It'll be here. There's a volunteer sign-up sheet over on the table over there if you'd like to help. would love for you to help. It'll be from like 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's the one serving event we're doing as a church this Christmas. And uh, it's a neat way for us to serve about 150 children and their families who... Um, we're going to get some gifts at that event that our church is not overseeing. Well, our church is more overseeing is creating community. Our, our heart as a church is to bring Charlestown together around the gospel. And so I'm not a huge fan of events where it's like, hey, we're the church with money and you don't have whatever. I like events where we come and just take photos together and eat together and do crafts together and play together. And our role in that event is trying to do that, bring people together uh, as best we can. So if you'd be willing to sign up for an area of there that would be fantastic um i'm just praying that in our hearts this will be the best christmas ever so with that said i know when you get to this time of year a life does not stop it's not okay pause uh that was thanksgiving now i'm going to celebrate baby jesus for a month uh boss you got to back off family you got to stop demanding kids you're gonna have to shorten that christmas list down to just spiritual ideas like hope and joy and peace and not nintendo switch games or uh we've been on a like our children are panhandling for Fortnite, and we haven't caved yet and we're praying if we can get through christmas maybe the Fortnite craze will die i doubt it but life doesn't stop just because the calendar rolls over i know it's an insanely busy time for a lot of people as the year wraps up i know it can be oh i'm sorry you may have to hit screensaver on that I for boy yeah. man you were on it thank you I know at Christmas can be difficult I had a friend who lost both her mom and her dad at Christmas and as much as she would love Christmas to be the best time ever uh, every year that's always the hardest time for her because she remembers her parents I know a lot of people come into this season with stress with family uh, have falling out with siblings and that kind of manifests itself when you have to sit there with your ugly sweater and act like you like those people. Like I get all of that. Sometimes it seems like at Christmas the only certain thing is uncertainty and it's tough to have a holly jolly Christmas when your future seems uncomfortable or unknown. Um, and man, that's just the way, like I think about all the times that our, at our family Christmas, here's how it worked for our family. Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandparents' house 
Uh, they were quintessentially Southern in their conflict styles, extremely passive aggressive, could be very angry with you and never let you know about it. And uh, I think about all the times that probably there was like all of these tensions and hostilities in the room and I never picked up on any of it because uh, adults in the South, like rather in the North where you just know how people feel because they tell you, in the South they just beat around the bush and like talk about you behind your back or make you feel really awkward. And um, the good news is... Uh, in the midst of all of that, that God is with us in chaos. And when we are uncomfortable and uncertain, God is nearest to us than I think he is when we're comfortable. Because our tendency is to drift when we're comfortable. And so when we're uncomfortable, I think God comes very close. And I love um, the Virgin Mary and the story of Gabriel visiting her and interacting with her and calling her to be the mother of God for what it talks about. This, uh, this idea in this season of difficult faith. So uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. And I'm going to read um, a longer passage, but a familiar passage, I think, to most of us. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. If you don't mind this morning, just in the interest of time, I'm going to read a verse and stop. Read a verse or two and stop. Um, and, uh, and then we'll just pick up. Hopefully you know the story enough that that won't be a distraction. When it says in the sixth month, it's referring to her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. Her cousin, who is really old and barren, is now pregnant, six months pregnant. And at that point, an angel named Gabriel, who's mentioned a couple of times in the Old Testament, comes to this young Jewish Middle Eastern woman, probably a young teenager named Mary, and has news for her in the town of Nazareth in the region uh, of Galilee, which is the north of Israel. It's kind of the, the backwoods. It's the western mass of, um, or the northern main of uh, Israel and Palestine at that time. And, um, and so he shows up. Here's this angel who's married, this young teenage girl would know, and uh, because she knows the scripture, and here he is in her yard, and he shows up, it says, to a virgin betrothed, uh, or promised, I only have heard of the word betrothed twice in life. Once is here, the other is in the Lion King. Uh, if you remember in the Lion King, that bird that is in charge of watching Simba says, oh, you and Nala are betrothed. He's like, well, what's betrothed? You're promised. And so in a betrothal, uh, a, a guy and a young woman would come together with a public ceremony and he would say, we're going to be married. We're betrothed. The family would set all this up. They would make all the financial arrangements. And, and in about a year, they would get married. And over the course of that year, they would not have uh, relations with one another. They would not live together, and uh, but they were promised. In fact, to break a betrothal required a divorce, and um, and so uh, she is betrothed to this young man, a carpenter named Joseph, and they are planning their life. Like I just think about what it must be like for a 15-year-old girl to be sort of thinking about her wedding and planning all of that. And here comes this angel into the middle of that. Now, the one more thing I'll say about betrothal is one thing that could end a betrothal was adultery. And showing, and showing up pregnant out of wedlock surely would seem to be an indication of that. And so this is a problematic situation that Mary's about to find herself in. In fact, she could be stoned um, for being pregnant, uh, but not yet married. And so this is her scenario. So he shows up to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I, um, I love that word favored. Uh, that idea, 
I, I think of Mary, I think in, when we think of Mary, we tend to have two tendencies. One tendency is we make her out to be more than what she was. She's so holy that we can never be like Mary. I have friends who think she never sinned and she never died and she never did. Uh, she never was with a man, just all these sort of uh, theological thinkings. And, and, and I don't think that's true uh, biblically. I, I can make a really strong case that that is not accurate. On the other, on the other end of the pendulum, where we swung it violent the other way, is we, we make her not much. We don't want to think about Mary because we want to think so much about Jesus that we tend to ignore. And the truth is that this angel, the first thing that he says to her is that you are favored. And that word favored is uh, for an English nerd. I don't know how many of you are math nerds and how many are English nerds. I'm an English nerd. So for the English nerds, that word uh, is a passive word. It means that God has done this for you. You didn't do this. Mary, you weren't so good. You are favored because God has favored you. God has given you grace is the idea. God has poured out grace on you. Mary's goodness and all of that being favored is not something she earned, but something that God had given her. And that's true for her. Um, and it's true for us. Like if you're a Christian here today, God doesn't look at you and say, Dan, I am glad you're a Christian. Dan, I could not do this thing without you. So, man, I am glad you chose to follow me because the operation would be sunk without you, Dan. Rather, what God does is he says, hey, Dan, I love you and I love everybody. And so I sent my son to be born, to die, to rise again so that I can invite you into my family. And so now Dan doesn't ever have any right to get puffed up and say, boy, God couldn't do this without me. But neither does he have to feel terrible about himself. Rather, what he says is God has favored me. Because of the work of Jesus, I've been graced and God has approved of me and he has given me his righteousness. So the biblical heroes aren't heroes at all. Like there's no heroes in the Bible other than Jesus. Jesus is the only hero. Everybody else is just somebody who God is doing something incredible through. And uh, in, in a way, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we give to young families here, it, it says that all, this, all the little stories of the Bible are pointing to the big story and to the rescuer, who is Jesus. And Mary is a great example of that. The, the story is not about Mary, but it's about Jesus and how God works through her uh, to, to bring his son into the world. Uh, she's not sinless. Nobody's sinless except God. Uh, we see that over and over in scripture. She was godly. Mary was full of faith and she is tremendously courageous, tremendously courageous. I mean, I think about being 15 and what a coward I was and how, you know, I was just a clown. I was a weasel. I was, you know, I, I was a work in progress who was a Christian, but just wanted to be liked and didn't have it together. And here's this young woman who God is about to ask to do something that is going to cost her everything. And she's tremendously courageous and full of faith. She was young. She was brown skinned. She was Middle Eastern. She was Jewish. She was probably poor by her own culture standards. She was most definitely poor by our culture standards. But she is a great example to us of how to be submitted to God in a hard, unknown, uncomfortable situation. And in this way, she points us to God and to surrender and to worship. And if you write anything down, I'll tell you a couple things today that worth writing down are worth writing down. I think this is one. God does not, Mary's an example that God doesn't need us to be more committed to him. God needs us to be more submitted to him. God doesn't need us to be more committed. Um, my commitment compared to the power of God, I'm not going to bring a lot to this operation. But man, if I'm submitted to God, if I say, God, you can do whatever you want through me, that's where the good stuff happens. 
So he's, so he says, greetings, Mary, the Lord's with you. You are favored. God has done something incredible. It says in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. This is the boss coming in and be like, uh, hey, James, hope you're doing great. Man, you are my best employee. Whew. And I know you got a lot going on at Christmas, but man, if I got any employee that can take on a lot, it's you. You know that whole time you're thinking, oh man, here it comes. What kind of project is this guy about to drop on me or this woman about to drop on me in this situation? It's the boss is nice, maybe a little too nice, you know, in that situation. That's what I think she's probably feeling because she's troubled and is trying to discern what kind of greeting is going on here. It's Noah is not affectionate. Uh, Owen is a golden retriever. Noah is a, a, a is a cat. So when Noah comes up to us and hugs me and doesn't even say anything, I know. I know he's either broken something, he's done something wrong, or he wants something. And I think that's what's going on with Mary in this situation. She's trying to discern exactly what's going on. She's like, why is there an angel here? Why is he greeting me this way? Whatever is next, my life is not going to be the same in the next minute or two. Whatever's coming up, it's not going to be the same. And so the angel picks up on this, verse 30. The angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Don't be afraid. Uh, I'll talk to people. I've actually met a few people, uh, not many, who said that they've interacted with angels. I'm like, cool, yeah, tell me what that was like. Like, oh man, it was amazing, you know, and it's, it's basically like talking to a glowing uh, grandma is what they describe. And I'm like, hmm, that's kind of funny because literally every time I see in the Bible someone interact with an angel, they're scared to death and think their life is going to end. So I don't know that you did or didn't have an interaction with an angel. I'm just telling you, I've rarely read a story in the Bible, uh, in fact, not one, where people weren't frightened to death that they had met with a messenger from God. And so the angel picks up on that. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You've gotten grace. And then he lays out the plan. Here's the plan. You will conceive. Can you just see a 15-year-old here in this? Here's the plan. Okay, you're going to conceive. Mary says, okay, great. Great. You're going to conceive. You'll bear a son. Oh, a son. Wow. Okay. The family name is going to keep going. Sounds awesome. You will call him Jesus. Uh, The Lord is salvation is what that means. You're going to call your son. The Lord is salvation. The Lord saves. It's a common name. I read this week that for the sixth year in a row, Sophia and Jackson are the most popular names in America. I think Jackson has been most popular for nine years running now. It's either Sophia was nine years running, but both of them have been the most popular for six years. Mary's probably thinking, "Hmm, yeah, it's a little common. Okay, Gabriel, I might have picked something different. Maybe Steve, maybe Tom, but Jesus. Okay, Lord, salvation. Great. All right. This is good. And then he says he will be great. And what parent doesn't want to hear what your kid's going to be great? You want your kids to be great. If you have kids, you're like, man, I want that kid to be great. Carla's the art teacher here at school. I would imagine in your role, you look at those kids and pray for those kids and they don't even know it. And you're thinking, God, let this kid be great. God, do great things in them and do great things through them. So I think Mary's hearing this. She's like, this is great news, Gabriel. But then the news turns, and here's what Gabriel says next. He will be called the Son of the Most High, verse 32. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Now, we've baby Jesus uh, nativity scene, this thing passed. But let me tell you what the angel means, what Mary, I think, is hearing in that moment. He will be called the son of the most high. I think she can still be like, OK, this could be good news. Maybe he's going to be like a spiritual child of God. Like he's going to be really close with God. This is good. Maybe not literally, maybe a spiritual kid. And then he says, God will give him the throne of David. And now I think Mary gets like, do you have that moment of panic where like the hair on your neck stands up and you're like, you start getting chills. You're like, oh, your stomach drops. I think she's feeling that. Okay. God will give him the throne of David. Mary's thinking, okay, he's going to be king. At best, that's ambitious news. At worst, uh, that's subversive, indicating that there's already a king. So what you're saying is my king has got to over my kid has got to overthrow that king. That sounds like that sounds dangerous. He will reign over Israel, he says, the Jewish people forever. That is going to now require not just an overthrow of Herod. That's going to require an overthrow of the Caesar, of the Roman emperor and of the Roman Empire in Palestine. Now, that's big, like I don't want my kids to be the ones who are going to take 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for, for like for God. Like, I don't I don't want to envision what that's going to look like as a parent. That's not good news. And then he goes on and he says of his kingdom, there will be no end or Jesus will have this. Jesus will have a never ending kingdom. Now, that's ambitious for a 15 year old mom to hear. Like, I would love it if my kids grow up to be athletes, not much of a chance of that, or um, inventors or successful business people. I remember as a kid kind of wanting to be an astronaut, but then that started to scare me. Can you imagine Mary up at the Charlestown Library in a play group with other young moms? They're like, oh, what do you want little Jesus to be when he grows up? Well, it's already been settled. God told me he's going to be the king of uh, America and his kingdom is going to have no end. Ooh, that's a tough conversation point, but that's what she finds herself in. All inconvenient, all uncomfortable. Verse 34, Mary said, here's the obvious one. How's that going to be? Since I'm a virgin, how will that be since I'm a virgin? Uh, virgin, not doubt. This is a rational response. I think sometimes... Um, there's a perception with Christians that you have to check your brain at the door to follow God. And I love this verse because it's a reminder that if your faith is completely irrational and is not rooted in some truth and rationale, then it's probably not worth believing. Like people will say, well, J.D., how do you believe this? I'm like, well, there's a couple things. Uh, I think God is the author of capital. God is capital T truth. But that doesn't mean there's not truth in other places. God's just the author of truth that's outside the Bible. And if it looks like there's a contradiction, there's no contradiction with the Bible or anything like that. It's just I think we don't have all the facts. And so Mary is processing through the facts that are before her. The word literally means when it says uh, when it says here in verse 34 that Mary um, is reasoning. It literally means she's taking an audit. She's putting these things, this Angel is saying on a scale and she's measuring them, trying to figure out what's going on. She's reasoning it out um, because it's difficult. What this angel is asking her to do is difficult. I want to tell you it's okay to have doubts. Some of you come week after week and you wrestle with this committing to Jesus, and that's okay. It's okay to have doubts. Um, in a specific area. It's okay to have doubts about Jesus. Uh, I think it's less okay to blindly jump through religious hoops without ever thinking about any of it. That, to me, is the more dangerous thing. I've seen more people in my life 
who jump through religious hoops and you can't reason with them about God or anything because they got it all figured out. I've seen that end less well than the person who's really struggling with doubt and struggling to believe, but is on an honest search. Doubt is greater than blind acceptance without ever wondering or question when doubt is less than openness and willingness to let God be God. So Mary asked this virgin question, and here's what the angel says, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Uh, This is like where it gets real crazy for a 15-year-old girl to process, by the way. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, verse 36, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Gabriel now says, God will impregnate you by the Holy Spirit. The angel goes on and says, this son will be holy and this son will be called the son of God. Now, this is really uncomfortable and really inconvenient news for her. And what is she going to do? And so uh, the angel being astute says, "Okay, I've just given you a ton of bad news. So here's some good news. Let me offer you one, a word of hope. Your cousin Elizabeth, who's really old and you thought that she couldn't get pregnant. Everybody did. Now she's pregnant. So there's hope. There's, there's something bigger going on in this moment than what you can see and think. And then he says a truth and a promise. He says nothing will be impossible with God. If you underline your Bible and have not ever underlined that verse, that one is worth underlining. And man, that's what the angel here offers to Mary, this promise that God will be with you. And so what does Mary say in 38? And Mary said, behold, I'm the servant, the bondservant, the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it happen like you say. She says, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't have all the answers. But I'm in. I can't figure this out. This is going to be really weird when I tell the mom's play group that this boy is going to be the son of God. I don't know how I'm going to parent him through this, but I submit. I'll do it. doesn't make sense, but I will do it. I'm with you, God. I would rather be with you and not understand and have it all figured out and not be with you. And that's what she says. What a breathtaking passage. So a couple of things. One, first, uh, and these aren't one like write them down. These are just one like let's tie this Let's begin to like make sense of this. One, like Mary, our acceptance from God is rooted in who he is, not who we are. Mary is favored. If you're a Christian, Christ follower, you are favored, not because you're good or come to church or do religious things or receive communion or have been baptized or a member of a church or don't kick puppies or whatever it is that you do or don't do. You are like pleasing to God because of Jesus being born in you, not literally, but spiritually when you became a Christian and uh, not because of what you've done. And if you're not a Christ follower, if you've not become part of God's family, you will never earn his favor through your effort. It's all God choosing to grace you and favor you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. In light of that, to be a Christ follower means to be a Christ surrendered person, not somebody who does things for God, um, but somebody who surrendered. And what, what, what that implies is that our honest doubts always take a knee to an openness to God. God is going to ask you to do things that are going to be uncomfortable and require you to adjust your life 
And to be like Mary, to be where she is in the story means that you have to adjust your life to what he's asking you to do, even when it doesn't make sense. That's what it means to be Christ surrendered. It's like taking a check. Remember when we used to write checks a lot? Like uh, the other day, we, we rarely write them. So we don't think about running out of them. And Natalie's getting ready to go pay our rent with a check. She's like, um, last check. We need to order them. And they're like out of sight, out of mind. If you remember checks, you remember you, you date it. And then you put in what it's going to go for. And then you put in the amount and you sign it. To be Christ surrendered means you take your life and you, and you treat your life like a check. And you say, God... Here's my life. I'm dating this and I'm signing it. Now you can write in what it's going to go to and you can write in what it's going to cost me. I'm not going to have any say in that. My life is yours. And when you slide the check over, I've had to do that a couple times in my life, not to God, but like where I told somebody, I need to write you a check, but I'm not sure I'm writing it to or the amount. And I've dated it and signed it. And it's the scariest thing ever. It's like, oh man, this guy, <laughs> Renee, you're shaking your head. This guy could clean me out. This woman could ruin me in this moment. And that's what we're saying to God. God, I've dated it. I've signed it. Whatever you want to do. That's what Mary's life is in this moment. Whatever you want to do, God, here it is. Checks on the table. The answer is yes before the question is even asked. What we've done, when we've uh, done that and life and faith aren't easy, I think we can do three things and look at Gabriel. When you are handing it over and life doesn't make sense and God doesn't make sense, I want to encourage you to do three things. One, root what God is calling you to in the past. The nice thing about Gabriel's message to Mary is everything he says is rooted in Scripture. The Son of the Most High, the uh, throne of Jacob, all those things, those are Old Testament uh, ideas. Uh, particularly what Mary's about to encounter is talked about in Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, and Micah 5. God, what he's, so this young Jewish girl who would know Scripture is being called to do something that's rooted in something that is has been written about for 1,500 years. That's comforting in that moment. He's saying, I'm, you're fulfilling this. This is not new news. This isn't something crazy. It's rooted in the past. It's also rooted in God's action in the present. The angel says, I know you think this is crazy, but go see your cousin who nobody thought could have a kid, and she's old and gray-haired, and she's six months into the pregnancy. She's showing. God's at work. It's rooted in the present. When God asks you to do something crazy, go find what's rooted in the past, rooted in the present, and then root, he, he roots it in what he promises God would do. He will be. God will do this. Nothing will be impossible with God. These are all promises. And Mary said, like, the angel doesn't say, hey, I got to go now. I hope this works out. Good luck. Hope you don't get stoned. He says, no, this ch- the child's not going to die. You will not be killed. This is going to work out. Nothing will be impossible with God. These are future tense promised verbs. It's going to happen. The Virgin Mary and her interaction show us that our faith in Jesus and relationship with God always ought to be three things. Our faith is rooted in the past. Our faith is rooted in the past. If you're writing anything down, write this word down. Remember. We get vertigo. We just finished up the U2 series. One of the uh, songs I wanted to talk about when we didn't have time was the song Vertigo. Uh, I've had vertigo before. Uh, If you've never had it, uh, the way it would work for me is I would get fluid in my ear. And I remember one Sunday I was preaching and had a 
uh, a bout of vertigo in the middle of my sermon, and I had to sit on a stool and hang on to it like this because I felt so disoriented. When you are feeling spiritual vertigo, I want to encourage you to remember what God has done before in the Bible, what he's promised in his word. I'm not the guy, like I'm not the preacher who's going to tell you this is God's just as like a cliche, like this is a roadmap for life. If you just do this, everything's going to be fine. You're going to get this easy life and all of that. But man, scripture is true. And, uh, and we as Christians ought to learn to handle the Bible and not be biblically illiterate people, but know what God is saying and what he promises when you're struggling with what God's asking you to do. Go to the Bible. Also, I would encourage you to go to history. There are people that I struggle with doubt. I don't know how many of you struggle with like rationally following a man who died uh, on a Roman cross and then rose again three days later. Maybe that's not a struggle for you. It is a struggle for me. I go back to Blaise Pascal. I go to C.S. Lewis. I go to other people who are infinitely smarter than I am and follow Jesus with intellectual honesty and profound faith. And that helps me in a moment. I remember those who come before me. I remember what God has done before in my life, uh, and that helps me. I love the hymn. It's an old hymn. It was written in 1787, author unknown, called How Firm a Foundation. We used to sing it in church all my life. Uh, it says, the first verse says, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to, than to you he hath said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Now, never notice this. We used to always sing this when I was a kid. The song has five stanzas. And the first stanza is that. And all the rest of the song is in quotation marks. The rest of the song is just the, the hymn writer writing in a hymn things that God has said in the Bible. So he goes on and he says, Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God. And will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand, upheld by my gracious, all-powerful hand. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow will not overflow. For I will be with you, your trouble to bless, and sanctify you, uh, sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame will not harm you. I only design your dross to consume, your impurities to consume, and your gold to refine. And I love this. Can I read you this last verse? Here it is. So good. It says, The soul that on Jesus doth lean for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Have you ever felt like hell was grabbing you by the shoulders and trying to shake you down. Man, the Bible promises in that moment, we are never, never, never forsaken. When God walks you through fire or flood or whatever he's having, allowing you to walk through in love, remember, he will not leave you. Remember. Like Gabriel second, uh, be, let, let God's call be rooted in the present where he's at work and in control. Look around. See God at work in your life and in your circumstance, even when it isn't obvious. It's okay to wonder. It's okay, like Mary, to take an audit and wrestle with what God's calling you to do. But root your wonder in openness and willingness and honesty. I want to tell you, God is always at work around you. God is at work in Charlestown. 
He is at work in the life of your neighbors and friends and family. Uh, Nat and I were talking this week. Um, we met a Christian in Charlestown. I always like, it's like, what? I mean, it's amazing. When you find a Christian in Charlestown, I want to do like a cartwheel. So we have this friend who, since the moment we met her, we look at her and we have both said, God has his hand on this woman's life. And she doesn't know it, but we can see it in a way that we don't see it in everybody else. And so we are praying for her and getting to know her and love her. And then we meet this man this week who works with her, who loves Jesus and has been following Jesus for 20 something years. And we said, man, she doesn't know it yet, but God has put Nat and I in her path and this man in her path because he loves her. And he's at work all around her, and she doesn't know it. Be encouraged at your workplace that God's at work around you. And in your home, he's at work around you. In our neighborhood, he's at work around you. On Thanksgiving, we were talking with Lana, and she was like, J.D., I mean, do you think people are going to show up for our church? She said, because I've been inviting people like crazy, and people aren't coming yet. And I'm like, yes. How do I know that? Because God's at work all around us. Yesterday, I hung the wreaths. Carson roped uh, me and Renee into hanging the wreaths, and they went and broke his hand so he could get out of it. And uh, so it's so dirty. Um, so uh, I was hanging the wreaths yesterday, and um, the guy from the Chamber of Commerce, Scott Holmes, says, he's introducing me to a couple of people. He says, this is J.D., pastor of Christ Church, Charlestown. And a couple of the people were like, oh, you guys are the church that did the photo booth at Halloween. You guys are the church that meets at the kin. You guys are a church that does this. Listen, God's at work in people's lives, and they don't even realize it. We need to remember that and be aware that he is at work, looking for him to work. Henry Blackaby, the father of church planting in Canada and author of Experiencing God, said, find where God's at work and just join him there. And third, our faith needs to be rooted in the future and what God has promised. What God said he will do, he will do. He may not do it when we want or even how we want or exactly or even do exactly what we want, but God will always do what he promised promises to do. Maybe not when, how, or exactly what I want, but he will do what he promises to do. If God says, I will, to your circumstance or situation, you can rest assured that he will. So just as a quick parenthesis, if you're in a crappy season of life right now and faith, one of the best phrases in the Bible that you need to write down is the phrase, and it came to pass. It came to pass. All the seasons don't last. The enemy will make you think they last forever. They don't. It comes to pass. It came to pass in the fullness of time that Mary gave birth to baby Jesus. It comes to pass. God will do what he promises. So Mary then, and I'm not going to read it all, she goes and visits Elizabeth to see what God is doing, to, to gain some hope. And then she writes a worship song. Mary writes a song. Luke 146 through 55 are Mary's worship song, the Magnificat. It's beautiful, and I would totally encourage you to read it. Worship is our response to remembering who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. The response is worship. It frees me to worship. And even when I don't feel it, man, I worship as a choice and a belief, a conviction. Um, I need to stop. I'll I'll keep moving forward. Worship is recognizing who God is, recalling what God says, and remembering what God's done. Worship can be partial, 
It can be where we sit on the fence and the Bible calls that being lukewarm. And Jesus says, I will vomit out lukewarm people. Our worship can be total. And that's what the Bible calls denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus, surrendering. Um, This isn't just what God calls us to. God doesn't say, hey, Scott, I need you to um, I need you to surrender and be totally surrendered. God doesn't just call us to that. He empowers that and he enables that. He helps us live that life. So, again, we don't have to be more committed. We have to be more submitted. So here's what happens in the end. Mary does not do two things. She does one thing. She doesn't do two. Mary does not share her agenda. She doesn't say, hey, Gabe, I'm really glad you swung by. I got a plan. I need you to let God know about my plan. I need him to bless it. Here's the plan. I'm going to marry Big Joe. We're going to have 2.5 kids. We're going to get a nice house. He's got, you know, he's a carpenter, Gabe, and we're going to start a furniture business that's going to make Jordans look like nothing. Like she doesn't say, God, here's my plan. I need you to bless it. She also does not pick and choose the parts of God's plan that she likes. She does not say, hey, thanks for sharing that, Gabe. That was really powerful. That part about having a son and him being influential and us having a beautiful family and even being a king, like being part of a royal family. She's like, I've seen those royal weddings. I love those zany hats that those royals are wearing. Like, I like that part. But that stuff about like overthrowing the Roman Empire, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not down for that part. Like, let God know I'll do the son. I'll do the family. I'll even do the king part. But the uncomfortable stuff, I'm not, I'm not down with that. Like, she doesn't do that. Here's what she does. She listens, she processes, she submits, she worships. If we want God with us and want God to be in on what he's doing, the plan has to end with our submission and worship. The beautiful part, and this is worth writing down. It's the last thing worth writing down. You just tone out, tune out after this part. We don't respond this way so God will do something in us, but we respond this way because God's already done something in us. The Son of God, Christian, lives in us. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. We don't submit to God so that God will do something for us. We submit to God because God has done something for us. I don't, I'm, all right, in a couple of weeks, you're going to buy gifts for your kids if you have children or your parents, or your friends. You are not buying those gifts so that they will do something for you. You are buying those gifts because you love them and because of who you are in relation to them. And that's what God has done. We don't submit to God so he will do something in us or for us, but because he's already done something amazing in us and for us. He's done amazing things. He is in us. John 14, 23, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he keeps my word and my father and I will love him and will come and make our home with him. God is living in us, Christians. Colossians 1, 27, to them who God, to them God chose to make known among uh, the Gentiles are the riches of of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in us. He's made our home, his home with us. Phillips, Philip Brooks, who pastored the church over at, the beautiful church over at uh, Copley Square, Trinity, is it Trinity Church? Is the name? Yep. Wrote, O little town of Bethlehem in 1868. One of the verses of O little town of Bethlehem says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us. 
oh, our Lord Emmanuel. Now, I'm going to read this part because I am not a linear thinker, and this bears reading. Christmas celebrates the fact that Emmanuel, God with us, has descended to us. He has cast out our sin and been born in us, as in Mary. Regular people, just as Mary was a wonderfully regular young lady. This Christmas, I pray we worship. I pray our worship is rooted, whatever season or situation of life we find ourselves in, and who God is, and what God has already done, not hope for what he could do. I pray we remember that we are already favored, and for those who aren't Christians, I pray we remember and receive that favor through unconditional surrender to God by submitting in faith to Jesus. I pray we remember what God has done in scripture, in history, and in our lives already. I pray we see what God is doing around us, and I pray we believe God will keep his promises concerning what he will do. Even if we, like Mary, don't have all the answers, I pray we ask our questions in honest truth and then submit to the one who settled his love for us, not in a manger, but at a bloody Roman cross. His love is settled here, but it comes to fruition at the cross and the empty tomb. Henry Blackaby, who I mentioned earlier, said uh, in experiencing the spirit, he said, listen carefully. Recognizing God is not the same thing as coming to God. Hearing God in your heart is not the same as answering. Working for the kingdom of God does not mean living in the kingdom of God. Christianity is not believing the truths of the Bible. It's acting upon them and allowing God to control your life. You must respond to God and make the choice to interact personally with him. I'm going to pray and we're going to receive communion. Uh, May, if you'll head over that way. I want to encourage us. When we come receive communion, I was talking with one of the folks yesterday. We were hanging wreaths. And he said, hey, what's your church like on Sunday? It was kind of blowing his mind that we met in a school. And he said, um, I told him, you know, we sing. Some, most Sundays we'll, we'll sing, uh, especially at Christmas. Uh, we'll preach the Bible. We'll receive communion. He goes, oh, you receive communion. That's great. I love that. It's so weird to go to a church where they don't receive communion every week. I'm like, okay, great. Well, we do. And uh, the thing I wanted to say to him was that blank check idea. Man, I want you to come. And if you want to receive communion, that's fantastic. But understand that receiving that, what we're saying is we're signing our name, dating it. We're handing it over. We're saying, Jesus, I'm surrendered. You're in control. When you receive this, we're remembering that God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's what communion, that's how we get communion with God. That's what it means to be favored. We come and we don't receive his favor. We receive communion to remind us that we've already received his favor through his broken body and poured out blood. So as we pray, as you come and receive it today, as metaphorically as you can in your heart, I want to invite you to sign over your name to God and date, date it and say, Jesus, I receive all the blessings that come with being your child being part of your family, being graced by you. Let me pray for us.